I'm your host, Sasha Star Robertson. And today I want to give you guys a trigger warning before listening to this episode. I have a very special guest here with me today that is going to be sharing some information, um, possibly some of her story. We're going to have a conversation, share some tips about child sexual awareness and childhood sexual assault. As a survivor myself, I think it's very important that we talk about this subject, especially as moms, especially as parents, we need to prepare ourselves and our children to be aware of the red flags, to be aware of um, grooming techniques and just how many perpetrators are actually out there, but also be having these conversations and letting people know that they're not alone when they go through this, because I know for myself, so many of us can just feel like our voices are taken away and silenced on account of the abuse that we were subject to. And so my guest today is Lala Rosado. Are you overwhelmed by your never-ending to-do list? Are you tired of your schedule running you? Do you struggle to find balance or harmony between mom life and everything else that you have on your heart and on your plate? If you're here, you're likely a busy mama wearing multiple hats the most important of which being child of God and mom simultaneously. You desire to live more intentionally, striving to be a good steward of all the gifts that God has given you, and you want more productively peaceful days. Welcome to the Intentional Mom Life with Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Star Robertson, Jesus freak, mom blessed by adoption, wife, wonderluster, and your intentional living and biblical mindset coach. On this podcast, you will find abundant motherhood solutions that will set you free from the chaos, overwhelm, that never-ending to-do list, and help you create a schedule that actually works for you and your family. My mission is to help busy mamas just like you establish faithful foundations, live from purposeful priorities, and master your motherhood mindset. If you're here, you're ready to say yes to intentional, productive, and peaceful days in Jesus. So grab your cold brew and your planner or strap those kiddos into the car seat and let's jump into today's episode. We met on TikTok, so if you're not following her on there, definitely head over there. She is a warrior mom of two. She is a child sexual assault awareness educator. Maybe did I say that right? CSA educator, changing the way we have the talk with our kids. She's all about normalizing body autonomy, sexual abuse education, and putting a stop to this. You're too young to understand idea around our kids. If they're curious enough to ask the question, they're old enough for the truth. She is a survivor of over 15 years of severe mental physical, emotional, and sexual abuse at the hands of her parents. She shares her testimony so that survivors can find their voice through hearing her story. Lala, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for the work that you do and um, any more introduction that you want to add to that. Thank you so much, Sasha, for having me. This is a great honor. I am just here to answer questions and change the way we have our conversations with our kids. And I'm really glad to be here. Yeah. One day I remember like your, one of your videos came across my TikTok, and it was about, um, 
I don't know, a red flag, like how to spot a child predator or something like that. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I'm intrigued because having, having gone through that in childhood myself, I don't feel like I was really educated on what to look out for other than like the men are bad and stay away from them and different stuff like that. But it wasn't actually like anything tangible. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't about teaching me that I had autonomy and control over my body, but I think also some of the things that, that I was taught or the ways that I was raised, I don't want to say set, set up a scenario, but like, I I'm mindful sometimes when I say things to my kids, like if I'm bribing him, you know, mm-hmm. or like, oh, yeah. we'll give mommy a hug and then you can have this or like trying not to use even that kind of language towards him. Because if, if I'm telling him like this kind of like exchange, or behavior where I have access to you physically for something that you want might be setting him up to become prey in the future. And so, so I don't know. I just loved that first video that I saw instantly followed you watch almost all of your videos. Whenever I do get on TikTok because I'm just leaning in learning, what can I do to help protect my children, but also like you were saying, it's about protecting all children, not just your own. So is there anything like, do you want to share any part of your story before we dig in or like, what, where do you want to go? What's, what do you want to start with today? I definitely want to start with, I think that our past generation on sex education really set us up to fail. Mm -hmm. I do believe that our, the older generations really did set us up to be groomed just because there wasn't any information on it. And not only that, but if you really look into it, pedophilia was kind of accepted, but just not talked about like, oh, don't go near Uncle Johnny. You know, you can't go near him. Instead of just saying, you know, Uncle Johnny's no longer allowed at family reunions, they Mm. just warn the teenage girls to be careful with him. And I think that's the mentality we, we need to work on changing so that we don't make our kids more susceptible to groomers or to predators. And it's scary because 93% of predators are known to their survivor, to the victim. And if we are able to see what's actually, what's scary about the red flags is that they're very subtle Mm -hmm. and they're almost, almost the same as somebody really just caring about a child. So it's easy to get those two red flags mixed up. So I really do talk about not looking just for the red flags, but just to look at the physical and the emotional and the behavioral signs of the child. Because if a child is throwing multiple tantrums and just breaking all the mirrors in the house, there's something deeper. You know, if a child is seven years old and they haven't wet the bed since they were four years old, there's something there. You know, if your child used to love baths and that was their favorite thing, and now they get scared to death of it, there's something there. And I think as parents, it's not missing the signs, but actually digging deeper into current behaviors that show these signs because perpetrators are amazing at hiding what they're doing. They're amazing at making children believe that it's their responsibility and their fault. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's our turn to change that and to make sure that the responsibility and all of the, the blame is held on who it really is supposed to be on, which is the perpetrator themselves. And I really believe that just talking to the children, to our children and making sure we dig deeper into any of these behaviors that we see will begin a much needed 
healing process for that child. Because you have to remember, sometimes children can take a year or three years to actually start talking about it. Even if they started opening up in the beginning of the year, they probably won't disclose until the middle or the end of the year because it does take that long for them to even come to terms with it. So I think the main thing I want to make you know important for parents to know is just looking at the actual physical and behavior and emotional signs rather than just focusing on our red flags. And of course, like the physical and emotional and behavioral signs are after the actual assault happens. So what do we do before that? And um, like you said, I just posted a video yesterday talking about signs that an adult can be hurting a child. And those signs are actually the same things as if, if they were doing it to you. So if a a family member is tickling your child and your child says stop and they don't want to stop that right there is a small red flag any normal adult would be like okay you know i'll stop but most adults some most adults will say you know yes i'll stop um but you want to look out for those those adults that keep touching a child so if a child says i don't like a kiss on the cheek but they continue to give that child a kiss on the cheek that's when you want to take matters into your own hands and you have a conversation with the adult and you say, Hey, I don't like when you kiss my child on the lips or the nose, you know, I I prefer you not do it. And then they do it again. Then I would tell a parent, you know, they obviously don't respect boundaries that are that open. So they won't respect boundaries behind closed doors. Mm. So I, what I always, always want to make a point for, for people to realize is that whatever small little thing they're showing you out in the open, it's even more, behind closed doors, you know, so if they're showing you that like restricting the child's access to adults. So if you notice that, you know, your sister got a new boyfriend and he doesn't let the kids see you or the grandparents as much, that's a red flag. You know, you want to say, Hey, he's not letting them have access to other adults. Why is that? You know, and, and the mom as well, because sadly, sometimes there's another adult that may not actually be doing the actual abuse, but they are facilitating it. You know, they're Mm. they're allowing it. They're turning a blind eye to it. Um, Just really looking at who you're talking to and dealing with. I think that will start a a good place for you to start seeing who's around your children, who you will let around them. Yeah, I think all of that is super huge. Like first you had mentioned about how like 93 percent are known. They're a close family friend, a relative it's not often the stranger danger. And I think that's the big thing that I was taught growing up was stranger danger. And I was even having a conversation, um, with my husband about, you know, going on a cruise and like sending the kids to the, uh, kids area on the cruise where they can hang out and have fun and we can have our own time and brought up some concerns about the stranger danger aspect. You know, it's a lot of, um, a lot of foreign nationals working on cruise ships and, I'm like, well, I don't know what kind of background checks that they have in their countries and whatever mm-hmm. else. So like, does the cruise ship even know? And then, you know, my husband and I were fleshing it out a little bit more and talking about it. And, and then that's when we, we had brought up the statistic. Well, actually it's a high percentage of people that are known. So the percentage of, you know, something happening on a cruise ship compared to the statistic of like somebody that we know and just having our home regularly or whatever else is, is actually a lot more, um, probable. So being aware of that, I think is super huge. You had mentioned the responsibility and fault. And I think that's a huge, um, a huge part. And I think in both of our like missions and, and being open and somewhat transparent about this is you had mentioned earlier about 
shining a light on, you know, the number of perpetrators that there are. And, and if you look at the number of perpetrators versus the number of survivors that are out there, people talking about their sexual assault or sexual abuse more frequently and, and, and not even like me just talking about it over and over and over again, but just like speaking up and saying, Hey, I'm a survivor of this can be what opens the door for somebody else who is Mm -hmm. to have the opportunity to use their voice. Like I had said earlier, like the responsibility and fault aspect, and, and you had mentioned it takes, you know, sometimes one to three years for people to open up for me. Like, I don't, I don't remember if I opened up much as a child about it, that those memories are still pretty black, even after like a decade of therapy for all of this. <laughs> but I know that even as I think I was 26 or 27 years old, speaking up about this, it still wasn't received well it was still like, oh, well, you must be remembering it wrong. It must be somebody else. It must be something different. And even as an adult, having somebody respond to me that way is very difficult because it causes you to turn on yourself and and lean into those manipulative gaslighting techniques that these perpetrators and, and predators actually use on on us as children into making us think it's our fault. Or if we speak up, then, then we're the ones that are going to get in trouble Mm -hmm. for it. That we're the ones that are guilty, that we're the ones that are gross or whatever else fill in the blank. But then it leads you even to believe, you know, it's this manipulative gaslighting. You leave these conversations thinking you're the crazy one and you're the messed up one. And so a lot of times it's easier just to stuff it down and bury it and walk away. But like, that's only allowing these perpetrators to continue. And so I think it's really important to, to bring it up and talk about it because we need to be right. We need to be shining a light on this, especially if we're coming from it as a place of like helping others. And from a place of like what God says, Lala, you had said it's to show others their strength and going through this and living through this, how we're so able to overcome and letting other people know that too. Because I know for me, it was 20 years to 15 years before it came to the light for me, before I was able to actually be diagnosed with PTSD and process through a lot of this stuff, it was still very hard. And it was still one of the darkest times of my life. And just so much came up from it. And it was, it was years of processing through the end. God has shown me how incredibly resilient and strong that I am. Mm -hmm. And he's equipped me in that being able to speak about it openly now and coming to a place of forgiveness because it needs to be shared and it needs to have a light shown on, you know, this is the reality of our world. And you might not think it's happening to your kids, but it very might well be. Um, yeah. do you Lala know the statistics? I, I don't even remember the last time I looked into it of like, what's the probability for boys and what's the probability for girls because it's both ways. Well, it was one in five girls and one in nine boys, but now the newer statistic shows one in three girls and one in five boys. Wow. Um, there's currently 500,000 sex offenders on the sex that have been on the registry. 250,000 are actually still on the registry, 200,000 are unaccounted for, and the other 50,000, they just don't know. And then there's 42 million survivors in America alone of child sexual abuse. 
And just those numbers itself is scary. And like you said, we do live in a culture where it's very much victim blaming. But I am I am proud to be on that new front where we're at, where it's no longer victim blaming. It is now saying how strong this survivor is for surviving such a horrific event, even as a child. And what's even sickening is as an adult, you wouldn't even expect a rape victim as an adult to just bounce back from it, let alone we expect children to be able to bury it down or to not feel it at all or think that it's not going to affect them. And in reality, if you look at how many children that have experienced sexual assault, and that's the only statistic I can't remember, and it's very important. I don't know why I don't have it with me, but most of those those children that do experience um, a sexual abuse as a child grow up with addiction and they grow up with other mental health and issues. And not only that, but chronic conditions. I myself have fibromyalgia, CPTSD. Mm-hmm. And all of that is, is just built up trauma that never really went away. People say, you know, oh, you know, yeah, you got abused, but you can just let it go. When in reality, the more we stuffed it down for as many years as we stuffed it down, that's how many years it's going to take to heal that wound that you just kept opening up because as children, it it does take longer for them to report, but all those years that it takes for them to report, they're in a, in a little situation where they're continuing to self-abuse themselves by remembering it and then trying to forget it, but their body, their body experiences that trauma when they remember it. Just because you tell your brain not to remember, it doesn't mean your body didn't experience that trauma. And I think the sooner we tell children, the sooner you heal this, the sooner that your body will heal and your whole, your whole mentality will be able to heal. You won't ever forget it, but you will be able to move forward instead of just trying to forget something that keeps on happening. You're literally going to grow yourself insane. And it, um, I actually have to uh, correct myself because I thought it was 500,000 perpetrators that are registered, but it's 750,000 and only 250,000 are actually registered. Mm. So uh, it's, it's scary to think that 80 to 95% of that 750,000 perpetrators knew their victim and you know, only 7% are strangers. And like you said, we were taught that stranger danger, we were taught to fail. We weren't taught that this can be somebody loving and caring. And the more that we open up these discussions with our children, the better that it is. And, and the most common question I get is what age do I start? And, and that's, I think the most infuriating question for me, because it society has made it seem like you have to have a certain age to where you start to talk to your kids about using the the proper names for their for their body parts or you know having an established body part as soon as my my child before my my children can talk i use proper body autonomy um with my first she's she's 10 now and uh she's so outspoken she talks about her body, she has her own boundaries. She tells me, hey, mom, I'm too big for us to be out and about. And if I, you know, say something, because I use correct, even if we're out and about, I'll say, oh, does your V, but using the correct term, mm-hmm. you know, does your V hurt? And she's like, mom, we're in public. Can you just use a cute name? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, so kids will tell you, but if they know from the get-go, it's really, really good because then you're just teaching them. If they can tell you no, 
or if they can tell you their boundary, they can tell somebody else. Because if you're their parent and they're you're, you're the last person they want to disappoint or make angry or hurt. So if you start that bond in that relationship, you're going to give them the strength to be able to counter or to combat the perpetrators out in this world that may be family, friends, or, you know, pastors sometimes. It's just the world that we're in now, like you said. Yeah. Um, I, I hear you there completely. And like, we've, we've already been trying to do that with our son. He's two and a half, but like using proper language and kind of like, I appreciate what you had said about, um, noticing that perpetrators usually have no respect for, for boundaries for others in terms of their body autonomy. And I like that you had pointed out if they don't want to kiss or they don't want tickled and, and they're saying, stop, stop, stop. And and the adult doesn't like, that's a sign. But then I liked how you had talked about, we can prepare our children as well in terms of using correct body language. I know that there are books that you've shared before that you could get and read to your kids. What are some other things that you teach your kids or would recommend in terms of protection? So my daughter loves this thing that we do where we pretend to be other people. So I think the other day I was pretending to be her friend that I dropped her off at the mall, that she, I was her friend that she was meeting at the mall and she was, uh, you know, we were playing a part and I was, we were shopping And uh, I was like, oh, you know, my brother's about to come and he's about to hang out. He's only 17. So he's not that much older. Can he come hang out with us? And she's like, um, if my mom doesn't know about it, I'm not okay with it. And then I was like, well, she doesn't have to know, like he can leave before she gets here and he can take us to like this really cool place. Like we're just going on about it. And she had all the right responses. And then when I was trying to get her to leave, you know, said mall, she was like, uh, actually, I'm going to call my mom because this is just getting a, a little uncomfortable for me and you're not respecting what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, I didn't teach you that, but I like it. <laughs> like, yes. So we do that. Uh, a lot of that, if we're brushing her teeth, I pretend to be a guy off of the street talking about her hair. And it's 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 small things like that, because what's scary is it's no longer just adults. You know, it's it's other Uh, teenagers that are now grooming children for trafficking it's Mm -hmm. other friends whose brother their friend may be great but their brother may be an issue yeah and that's where I try to teach her you know we have no sleepovers absolutely none so she understands that um we only have one person per if they were gonna have a sleepover here you know only one person at a time because we know if it's uncomfortable for us it's probably uncomfortable for those parents um but the books I would say the books is how we really started talking about that she has control of herself. It just opens up so much, much needed dialogue between us, uh, mm-hmm. things that I don't know how to bring up because of course, like I did, I wasn't taught it. I'm a trauma mom. I am breaking patterns so that my daughter doesn't have to go through that. So I don't know the best ways I needed a roadmap. And I think my favorite book is the one I have here that let's talk about body boundaries and consent and respect, you know, in it, it talks about like having a safety network. So you have at least three to five adults that are in your safety network that you can talk to. So mom and dad, you know, and then I always tell them to always have one person who's not family in that net, that safety network. So that if it is somebody in the family that's harming the child, they feel they still have somebody they can go to that's not biased against that family member. 
So you want to have as much resources for a child before anything happens, because lots of the times we need to remember that with groomers, groomers and rapists are two different things. Mm-hmm. A rapist just goes straight and gets what they want. A groomer will do everything they can to connect with the child for long-term abuse. That mm-hmm. way they can have them for longer rather than just a one-time thing. And so when you teach kids, like I taught my daughter that if somebody's buying you too much stuff, or if they keep giving you gifts and it's expensive and it's not something that you think that I would get you come and let me know. That's a little bit of a red flag. If they're, especially if it's something like an iPad or a cell phone Mm. or something to that they can have communication together with, I always tell her, you know, let me know. So it's not really looking for the signs as much. It's more having a good relationship with your children. Yeah. That way, you know, that they're protected because you did all that you can to make sure that they're aware. So education is the best key for protection. Um, you can tell a person all day, carry a gun, carry a gun, carry a gun. But if somebody comes, you know, to your child and they're grooming them, what do you do? You know, you can't just, so it's really important to just have those conversations. Um, we had it to where we dropped off our kid at the park and then, you know, we came up and we pretended to be somebody else and we had like a dog and, you know, I did the whole thing and it's, it's, it's really fun for them. And it's really good to see what they would do in this scenario. And always remember though, if you're, if you're doing the scenario plays with your kids, don't ever get mad at them for having a wrong reaction mm-hmm. instead go along with it. So if they, if they say like, okay, I'll leave it the mall from you, take their butts and run, like just show them how easy it is. As soon as they get out the mall, like we, we go through it. So it's really, it really is just having an open relationship and just really talking to your kids, you know, like our daughter, she thought that people get stuck the same way dogs get stuck. And I'm like, no child, like, this is what happens. Like humans don't get stuck. She's like, wait, mom, I don't get it. Do y'all have to like stay there like dogs do until like it, it go? I'm like, no, <laughs> no. that's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, even as simple as that. Yeah, it's just making sure that anything that they're saying, whether it's sexual or not, they have the truth and you're not making it taboo. You're not making it like it's gross or uncomfortable because if you're making it like that, then they're going to feel like that with it. Mm -hmm. You know, so talking about sex, talking about labias and all of that in our house is normal. We talk about it like it's nothing because the more that you do that, the less that people will have access. Your kids won't be curious. Yeah. So just- in the curiosity by answering the questions, honestly. Yes. And if it's, I feel like if it's gross or dirty or hidden and not talked about, then whenever somebody else does do something or, or even hint towards something, they can't come to you because it's, it's gross and dirty. And we don't talk about that here. So I think that's really, really important for you to shine a light on. And you know, I know that we had already talked on some statistics. And so like, while you were talking, I just pulled up this, um, it's d2l.org, darkness to light. And just some of the statistics that I pulled up on here is that one in 10 children will be sexually abused before the age of 18. And of them, 20% are abused before the age of eight. And 60% of child sexual abuse victims never 
tell anyone. They don't report it. And I think, and this is just me speculating here, but I think, and I believe based off of different things that I've read and what I've lived is that they don't tell kind of what you were talking about because they feel like there's not a safe place to tell, or if they do tell or bring it up or talk about it, it's just going to be shut down or shoved away or whatever else. But I know that there are statistics like for your kids to, to make good choices and not get involved with the wrong friendships or do drugs at a young age and things like that. Dinners at the family table with the family, having open dialogue and conversations as you share a meal together, focused attention on one another is like one of the number one things that we can do in our families to help our children. And I think that is a great thing that we can do. Um, even in taking a step towards this too, is just allowing the space for that open dialogue um, mm-hmm. and conversation to take place. Because like we were talking about that it's, it's most often people that, you know, I was just reading this other statistic, 70% of child sexual offenders have between one and nine victims. Yes. That's the one I couldn't find. That's the one I wanted to talk about. You know, you talking about how people aren't disclosing, you think you said 60%. And I feel like the more that we talk about it, the more that we um, get it out, the more that the less survivors will feel guilt, shame, disgusted, and alone. Uh, And that's what I really felt when I was a child. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was the same as you. I think I was in middle school when I found out that what was happening to me wasn't normal. It's not what dads do with their kids. up until I was 13, I really thought it was normal for your dad to come in your room at night and do that mm-hmm. with you, you know? So I think if we had, see, because my stepdad had access to two other children that I know of because of me. And that's a guilt that I I hold in my heart because had I not brought these girls around our house, like I was told to, and I was told in a nonchalant way, you look, you, you look like you need some company, you know, invite your friends over. And so I would invite somebody over and to see that if I had spoken up, those girls would have never gone through anything. Mm-hmm. My sisters would have never gone through anything. And not that we didn't, because we did CPS and Texas is horrible with uh, mm-hmm. sexual assault. We, the case was dismissed uh, when I finally went forward in my twenties. Uh, but if we name them if we talk about it more those those numbers will go down exponentially because like you said one between one and nine victims that's just one person doing that much damage to that many lives and if i had every survivor that the person that assaulted me has ever assaulted I'm pretty sure we could all take the guy. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like if we all just come together, we could really take them. They really won't have anywhere to hide. And Mm. it's what I'm trying to do here is giving a voice to the voiceless, the voices that feel like they don't have a voice because they won't be believed or they weren't believed before. And I, I had a teenager who told me that the hardest part for her coming forward is the way that she felt so ugly and dirty and it just it really hits you because they did nothing wrong to feel that Mm. and the person that should feel that feels nothing you know so why should we continue to feel all this rather than speaking up putting the blame on who it belongs and naming the person that way they can't hurt anybody else but getting our power back Mm. and that's what I've noticed 
coming out and doing a lot of the videos is you're getting your power back. You're saying no more. And even if my daughter knows that I am a survivor of child abuse and I tell her, you know, Molly, my, my, my family was not the best, but I am what I'm, what I'm doing now is because I survived. And that's what we need to tell victims is that you survived. And that's the hardest part of any type of assault is surviving that moment. You've already done the hardest part. You survived. You naming them is not the hardest part. And you need to give yourself a lot more credit because you survived. That's great. I love that encouragement because I think it's important for people to know that. I love that you had talked about, you know, the damage is lifelong. It's something that happens to a child, but it, it never goes away. It never ends. And all these statistics, there's emotional and mental health problems. There's crime and substance abuse. Um, substance abuse problems are rampant in, in victims of sexual assault and academic problems, um, sexual, like over-sexualized behavior, like risky sexual behavior, all kinds of stuff just comes from this mental health problems. And then it's the, the fact that like it, it remains in your mind. You don't ever forget it. Right. You're always aware and hypervigilant, but then like we were talking about too, the body keeps the score you had mentioned that earlier about all of these like chronic health problems that come from it. I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis and all these hormonal issues. And, and honestly, I was talking to somebody, one of my doctors one time who mentioned sexual conduct at an earlier age, like especially pre-puberty can produce a lot of other health problems in the body and stuff like that. So, I mean, the list is never ending and, and for it to be one in 10 and and they say one in 10, right? But 60% of people don't even share. It's very difficult to come up with any of these statistics in the first place. But when you do sit and think about these statistics, they're alarming. It happens far more frequently than you think about. And I think about all these different kids that I know and all these different communities that I'm involved in. And if I add them all up and, you know, count one in 10 of like, there's dozens of kids that I know that probably have been right. And like, what, what do we do about that? What can we do about that? Obviously not much if they're not coming forward and speaking and sharing. So we can just lead as survivors lead by example and letting them know that, like you said, they're not alone. They're not dirty. They they're not guilty nine times out of 10. There's nothing that they have done other than being ill-equipped to understand and recognize. But then you had pointed on this other thing too, that was just like, about the justice system, right? Because I feel like I've seen this time and time again, people are just failed. Even the people who do stand up, you were talking previously, like before we, we started recording about, you know, even speaking up in the military, speaking up to your parents, taking it to court, naming them, pressing charges, child protective services in Texas is horrible. It's, it's all across our country. And I think Mm -hmm. you had mentioned before, of course, because they benefit from it, but it's just like, we need to be the sounding voice to our children. We need to educate them. We need to listen to them. We need to believe what they're telling us and stand up for them and help them hold fast to what they know is truth um, and defend them in that. Because I feel like, and, and too, even the church, you know, like yeah. 
they're going, this world is going to let us down, but we have a responsibility to shine a light on this evil present darkness that is in our society and our culture. So most definitely with, uh, with all the people letting our children down between the churches, government schools, and our education system failing our children, we really can't afford, they really can't afford to have anybody else fail them. And I think that's what we can do as, a, as parents is we think that our voices and we think that we are minute, but we're really not all together. I think if you ever seen a bug's life and mm-hmm. I think there's a part where like the, all the, the guy, he gets one of the little nuts that they have and they throw it at him, one of them. And they're like, did that hurt? And he's like, no. And then he knocks all the nuts onto them. And then the dude's dead. And he's like, they outnumber us a thousand to one. And if they see that, then we're over. And I really do feel like that's who we are. We really do outnumber them. And the more that we come out and the more that we talked about this, even if the government, even if the justice system, even if the education system is failing them, they know that there's a group of people that will not fail them, that will believe them. We'll give them a platform to tell their story like you're doing here. And that's where we can make our change in the world where we're living. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And I so appreciate that. And I think one of the big reasons that I wanted you to come on and share this and talk about this with moms is because we are the ones that are closest to our children. And we're also the ones that can so quickly fail our children. by, by not educating them and setting them up for success by violating their boundaries or even teaching them things that are, that might even be setting them themselves up. And so I've even, like I'd mentioned kind of at the beginning of this episode, even being mindful of like, when I just want to kiss on my son's squishy little cheeks all over. And he says, no, no, stop. I need to stop. Because if Mm -hmm. I keep going, I'm teaching him that that's okay, that people don't need to respect his body. Or, or if I say, oh, you know, well, if you give me a hug, then I'll give you some yogurt and then it's give me a kiss and then I'll give you some yogurt. And then it's like, what's next? Okay. I'm teaching him that these like groomer behaviors are okay. And so as moms, we need to be very mindful of our relationship with our kids, making sure that it's very open and loving, open dialogue, education. Like there's just so many things that we've covered today. And, um, as mothers to be aware of these statistics and these facts, because they're not just numbers on a page, like they are our kids. And Mm -hmm. even just in my small group of friends, there are several children, more than 10. Yeah maybe more than 20. So according to these statistics, two of them have a likelihood of something happening to them, if not more. And by me being mindful, by you being mindful, by us coming on and sharing this and just shining a light on it. I just want the moms here to, to know that this is a real thing. And we need to be intentional about, about educating our kids about being aware and not just falling into this. They're too young and not just falling into this. We don't talk about that and not falling into this. Well, it's not going to happen to my kid because that's Mm -hmm. the number one, two, and three things that we can do to set our children up for failure in this and, and to fall prey. Most definitely. Yep. Most definitely. I agree. That's, I love the way you put that. It's perfect. I just want to say thank you again, Lala, for coming on here. Thank you for sharing tips and everything with us. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to leave um, 
the listeners with or any encouragement after this tough conversation? Don't be so hard on ourselves. So often we hold so much on our shoulders thinking that we have to be the person to hold everything and being women of faith, we've learned that we really can't be hard on ourselves. If God offers us grace, why can't we offer ourselves that same grace? Mm. Um, I especially want to talk to parents of children that have succumbed to this, that blame themselves. Mm. Um, I want you to just take that off and take that away from you right now. Um, because there is nothing that a parent does that ha- that makes their kid succumb to this type of thing. Um, like you said, you know, we do innocent things all the time. I used to tell my daughter, don't let anybody touch you. And just that one word let can change your child into thinking that they let it happen to them. Mm. You know, so just being mindful, like you said, of how we're talking to our kids, um, the, the, you know, making sure that our kids know that they don't have to respect all adults, that they, that not all adults are safe and that not all adults, you know, deserve their trust and, um, attention, you know? So I just want to encourage parents to just continue doing their best and to understand that this happens. It's nobody's fault except for the perpetrator's fault. And that we just need to have a little bit more grace for ourselves. Yes. I love that. What a high note to leave this conversation on. (laughs) So, um, thank you so much for coming on and just sharing with us in this, um, Lala has, uh, an Instagram and, um, TikTok is trying to, to hide her stuff a lot, but, um, called out of darkness. Um, I'll share the, the links in the show notes and everything. So you guys can find her on there to plug into some more of this information, um, and be mindful. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have three accounts, so I'm not going anywhere to okay. try as hard as I can, but three accounts, they, they're not doing nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Thank you so much, Sasha. Awesome. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Same to you.